right, it's great to have you guys here this morning. Um, today, we end our sermon series through the cross and crown, the cross and the crown. We've been going through the book of Matthew, which feels like we've been going probably for like five years, even though this church has only been around for like a year and a half. Um, it's just like, it's, here's, here's the beautiful thing about going through scripture systematically, is that it doesn't let you off the hook. Uh, when you come through some tough scriptures, when it speaks about relationships or divorce or money or, you know, all these kind of things that we socially feel awkward about, uh, when you commit to going through scripture, it causes you to see the truth of what Jesus thinks about those things. And for those of us here this morning who call ourselves disciples of Jesus, uh, who have decided to follow Christ, who put our hope and faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, man, it's, it's such a good reminder, right, about these things. To, to, because what ends up happening often is we tend to kind of drift with the culture, uh, we live in a culture that maybe not all the time wants to bring glory to God. And, and the thing of that comes into our lives. But as we walk faith, faithfully through scripture, it reminds us of who we are as Christians. It reminds us of what God thinks about these things. And it rekindles these passions and it, it, it turns our hearts away from culture and toward back to God. Um, and so this morning... What we're going to do in our, in our last part is really what it is, is it's a charge to us. Um, this morning, we're going to read in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is Jesus in his last moments physically on earth, his, his charge to his disciples, his commissioning to the people who said, yes, Jesus, we want to follow you. But that wasn't just for 2,000 years ago. That is for us here today, right in this very moment, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, there's a commissioning that still takes place for us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into some scripture. And my encouragement to you this morning is, if you are a Christian, you know, sometimes when we hear about evangelism or the mission that God's put us on, sometimes guilt creeps in our heart. Um, sometimes we, we hear it and we're like, we feel like, I understand I'm supposed to do that. Um, but will you, with me, ask the Holy Spirit to help you this morning and say, God, I, just, I thank you for this truth. I thank you for the beauty of the message that you've given me. Will you help me this morning remember why you've called me to live a life that's on mission? Amen? All right. Um, let me ask you a question. How do you know somebody is on a diet? Or how do you know that somebody is maybe a CrossFitter? They have a conversation in like 10 seconds, and this person will let you know that they CrossFit. I mean, Marianne and I, every once in a while, will do a Whole30. If you've never heard of Whole30, it's a diet which you do for 30 days, and you only eat things that are non-processed. You're not allowed to eat carbs or processed sugar or dairy. I mean, it's pretty hardcore, right? And... Um, I find myself that when I'm on Whole30, all of a sudden I find all these other people on Whole30. And the only way I find out about it is because we're talking about it, they're talking about it, and like how amazing it is and how it like transforms our life. Uh, I, you maybe heard me tell this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. Um, there was, my mother-in-law used to run a temporary employment agency uh, way back in the day when, you know, the economy, that was great for the economy. And um, she had a, a temp employee who was working in a kind of a manufacturing building in the city of industry down in Walnut area. 
and his wife calls him while he's on his shift working one of these like punch machines or something. You know, it's just like monotonous, take a piece of metal, put it under this thing, and then put it in a box, right? That was his whole job. And he's kind of like, not, probably not excited about doing this kind of work. His wife calls him in the middle of his shift. I don't know if he was supposed to have a cell phone on or not. He probably wasn't, okay. Um, but his wife calls him in the middle of his shift and says, babe, you're not gonna believe what just happened. He's like, what? You know, whatever. She goes, we just won the lottery, We hit, I mean, and we didn't just win, we got every single number. We got the jackpot. So what does this guy do in the middle of the floor, in the shift? Woo-hoo, right? This is amazing. He's telling everybody, guess what happened to me? I just won the lottery. And what's he probably doing to his boss? Like, see ya, sucker, right? He's he's running out, high-fiving everybody. He's like, yeah, you're the man. Well, What happens when he gets home? His wife's like, babe, I got some bad news. We technically had all the right numbers, but it was the wrong ticket. Now, he's, I don't know if he got his job back. My mother-in-law might be able to tell you the story or not. I think he said some choice words as he was kind of walking out the door. And there was no, no regard for decorum in this guy's heart. There was no like uh, formality in it because something amazing had just happened to this guy that he could not help but tell. So he, his life was going to be completely transformed in his mind. You know, like, I got all this debt, and now this debt's going to be paid off. I, I, I have this boat that I want to get, and I want to go on this vacation in New Zealand, and we're going to do all these things. My life has been completely transformed, and something amazing, truly beautiful, something that was not in my own power to control, something came into my life and changed it. I just can't help but tell everybody about it. And the thing is, A lot of us here this morning are sitting in a very similar situation. Last week, we just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, Easter. The most amazing, beautiful, incredible, all the old adjectives that I could add, all all of it. It's all packaged in the resurrection. And for those of us who call ourselves Christian, we go, oh my goodness, something beautiful, something truly amazing has happened to me. And then we see the story here in Matthew chapter 28. Then Jesus says, don't let it just be for you. Don't let it just be this beautiful story that just transformed me. I mean, if you were to win the lottery, I mean, wisdom would say, hey, don't go tell everybody, especially certain kind of friends. You know, the friends that you wouldn't tell, right? Certain family members, you'd like, hush, hush. We and Marianne and I often like fantasize what we would do if we win the lottery. And we're like, would we tell our kids? You know, (laughs) and uh, part of that is, yeah, we tell them eventually, but then all of a sudden, hey, how come you're driving a Ferrari, dad? And you're like, well, you know, church salary and all. And, uh, (laughs) but for those of us who have an amazing story, there's something amazing to be told. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to start at the end here. You know, I would imagine, you, you see it over and over in Scripture before we get there, every single time that a patriarch or somebody of importance, and, and, and we see it here with Jesus, is maybe on their deathbed, you know, you see David giving last instructions to his kids, or, you know, uh, J- Jacob and Esau with their dad, I mean, just every, the last blessing, and 
as, as a child, your ears prick up to hear the last words that are going to be said. And, and Jesus here is about to ascend back to heaven and be where he is right now and beautifully interceding for us. Nail-pierced hands, still uh, 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 wound in his side, feet, scars. He still bears those things. But what I'm getting at is here, these, these last words, so to speak, of Jesus, we, our ears should prick up. Our ears should listen intently because now he's going, he's leaving us. And what is the last thing that he wants to leave with us this morning? And this is what he says in Matthew chapter uh, 28 and verses 18. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, speaking to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's, let's pray this morning. Jesus, we, we sit here this morning with a story that is far greater than winning the lottery. We sit here with a story in our hearts. Uh, for those of us, Jesus, who have surrendered our lives to you, we know the good news. We know the beautiful story that you took us once from the miry clay. You lifted us out of the swamp of sin and you set our feet on a firm foundation. You've given us hope and life and victory over sin and death and victory in this life here and now. And Jesus, we want to say thank you so, so much for what you've done for us. But the reality is at times we tend to turn our eyes away from this beautiful gift that you've given us. And we, we tend to live for ourselves. We tend to live in fear. We tend to go the way of the world. And, and Jesus, I ask this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you come and reorient our hearts back to the purpose that you've called us to? Will you come and just tweak where, where our, our, our path has taken a diversion into selfishness or living for whatever pleasures that this life can offer, will you come this morning and just bring us back on course? And for those of us here this morning who are seeking, who are wanting to understand the faith, Holy Spirit, will you, will you help this morning? Will you aid? Will you bring things into our mind that speak truth about who you are? And we all pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. All right. So here's what we're going to do this morning with this portion of, uh, of Scripture. We're just going to unpackage the words of Jesus. Um, I'm not going to come up with, like, usually I preach, like, three points. Every good preacher preaches three points. And usually they're with, like, P's. So it's, like, passion and power and, you know, like, so it's easy to remember. But I think it would be better this morning that we just look at the, what Jesus said. Because if we're disciples of Jesus, we want to know what Jesus said. So here's what we're going to do. Point number one, it's as easy as that. We're going to look at the phrase of all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to Jesus. Jesus, in his last words, so imagine your dad, your grandpa, your great-grandpa, whoever it is, maybe your boss who's about to hand over his business to you. I don't know. Think of whatever kind of situation where you're going to inherit something beautiful, and now you've been entrusted with this gift, and the last words are on the, the, this person's list, and encouraging you, what would they say? Well, Jesus says, first and foremost to his disciples, one, 
all authority has been given to me. Now, why is this good news for us as Christians this morning? Why should this give us security? Why should this give us reassurance? Why should uh, the, the commissioning start off with an encouragement about the truth of who Jesus is? Because for those of us who call ourselves and identify as Christians, we now are identified as Christ living in us. The authority of Christ now is bestowed upon our shoulders. The authority of who Christ is comes alive in us. And this great commissioning, this great call to go and make disciples would be extremely fearful, would be extremely, it's impossible without the fact, first and foremost, that all authority has been given to Jesus. How many of you, and this is a safe place, all right? So I'm not, I promise I won't judge you. Ryan McBride might judge you a little bit, but how many of you guys like kind of scary movies? Anybody in here like scary movies? Okay, one, two, three, four, just, okay. There's probably a lot more, but y'all just too afraid to admit it. That's all right. I, I, I purposely don't watch them because I get too afraid. I just, I freak out. And then it's like in my dreams for like two years. I remember, I remember one time I watched The Exorcist when I was a kid. I mean, it ruined me, ruined me, right? So don't do that stuff, all right? Parents who just dedicated their kids, don't allow them to see that kind of stuff. I just said I wouldn't judge you. Now I kind of judged you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not judging you. But you know what you notice in these scary movies, you know, like the, the, the priest or the, the pastor comes into the room and this person's having an issue. I'll say issue. They're demon possessed or whatever. And um, <laughs> that's the socially okay way to say demon possessed. They come into the room and they're doing their best in their own power and their own authority to try to take control of the situation. And you know, the, the the, the power, the love of Christ compels you. And this, this demon's like writhing and writhing and like not, not coming under the, I mean, that is Hollywood. That's so, you know, it's crawling up the side of the wall, you know, all this kind of weird stuff. Pea soup is flying all over the room, you know, whatever. And let me just tell you the reason why Jesus is saying this here first, he's saying that's not real. That's not real. See, what is real is you're going to face opposition as you go out and declare the truth of who I am. But all authority, disciple of mine, has been given to me, and so therefore, I give it to you. And you don't have to be afraid. Because what happens when you come against opposition, remember the truth of who I am. Remember, I was encouraging us last week. You guys, the resurrection means what? We have victory over sin, we have victory over death. We have victory in this life here and now. And as Christians, we should live in that victory. This is just a continuation of that story when Jesus says, all right, the victory that you've experienced now in the resurrection, go and take that victory to other people. And don't forget, disciple of mine, don't forget. Don't get your eyes on the people who will like put you down. Don't get your eyes on what people will say and don't let your ears be persuaded by that. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and so I therefore now give it to you. Go. It's good news for those of us who are Christians. And I get it. I get it. It's scary. I get it. The fear of man grips our hearts, right? That moment when you, you, you as, a, as a believer, you, you feel like there's this opportunity to share what you believe about this great news that's been given to you, and you're like, what would this person think? This is going to be an awkward conversation. I get it. 
But ours is to remind ourselves of the truth of who Jesus is, not our own ability, but in who Jesus is. So that point number one is remember that as we go to tell people about this amazing thing that has happened to us, this most beautiful story. Uh, We were sitting in a wedding ceremony yesterday, and there's a song that we sing here. um, It talks about Jesus making our lives a beautiful story, and the bride mentioned that song and, and how God had taken her life from ashes into beauty, and that's all we're doing. That's all we're doing, friends, is talking about how Jesus has transformed us from the inside out. I once was blind, now I see. I once pursued evil and selfishness, and my heart no longer is turned toward that anymore because I've been transformed from the inside out. That's all I want to tell you about. This man named Jesus changed me. I couldn't do it on my own. Such a simple message, right? But it's scary. I get it. So, number one, remember, Jesus has all authority. Every, and, and not just the naysayers but against even the spiritual powers that would come against you. He has authority over that. There's nothing, no one, no situation that Jesus isn't king over. That's good news. That is good news. All right, number two. You guys doing okay? All right. All right. So maybe you're getting a little into it now. You're like saying, okay, I get it. I get where we're going. Maybe we could do this. Number two, Jesus says, go. All right, here's, here's the even harder part about what we're called to do as Christians. Go, and we say, where? And Jesus says, yes. <laughs> and we go, where? And he goes, uh-huh. See, there is a going to our discipling making. Now, what does that mean to go? Does that mean um, that... Let me just tell you something that we, we, we don't really believe here at Southlands. We, we purposely don't have like a board in the back with like a picture of a family who lives in, you know, like Kenya with a piece of yarn tied from like Chino to Kenya. And then like there's a box in the back and then we, we put money in the box for that person. And we go, okay, that's our missionaries. What we believe here in this church is that God has called us all to be missionaries. So what does that mean? Oh, well, I live in 91710. Some of us might live in 92821. That's Brea. Some of us might live, what was the show in the Beverly Hills? 90210. Well, good on you. Whatever. Okay. Good. God bless you if you live in 90210. I don't know. Wherever you live, but the reality is wherever you live, that is where God's called you to be a missionary if you're a Christian. Oh, really? Yes, that's what it means. I, I hear, let me do a little quick exercise with everybody this morning. Just, just humor me. Okay, this might seem a little cheesy, but just humor me. Will, everyone, will you just look down at your feet? Just look down at your shoes. All right, some of you are being rebellious right now. I'm not doing it. That's all right. That's okay. Now you can look back up here. Wherever you are, there you are. That's some profound stuff this morning. I bet you didn't know you were going to hear that this morning. Wherever you are, there you are. If you are working for the sheriff's department, you are a missionary in the sheriff's department. If you are working for a management system for an uh, ACs and you help these big commercial places, your mission field 
is those people that you go and you, you sell to or the people that you have lunch with. If you are a teacher, your mission field is your, your coworkers. Let me say this too. If you are a parent, your mission field, man, what a privilege, is your children. Your children should be your first disciples. And so we often hear and look at this when Jesus says, go and make disciples. We think somehow that this means that we have to go to a very third world country. We have to sell our, all our possessions and that we need to get in a plane and go somewhere that we hardly speak the language and suffer and get mosquito bitten and feel the humidity and all that kind of stuff, eat weird food. That might be part of the go. For some of us here this morning sitting in this very room, Jesus may have said to you, go, go to this place where they don't speak English. Go to this place where the running water you can't drink. Go to this place where the food is very foreign to you. Go and learn this language. And that may be part of the going. But for most of us here this morning, the go is what's going to happen this morning. You're going to walk out these doors. A lot of you are going to go celebrate. Maybe you're going to celebrate with friends and family. The child's been dedicated this morning. We made a beautiful ham. We just had ham last week. So no. we're going to do fajitas today. We're going to like do this, and there's going to be some friends and family who come over to our house. That's the going. When I go to the grocery store right over here at Stater Brothers down the street, and I, I see the same clerk every time, and I say, Hey, how are you? I notice I've seen you every time. I seem to get in your lane every time. My name's Kelly. I live down the street. Well, what's your name? Oh, that was dumb. You have it right there. Okay, so like, look it. Hey, this is my going. This is my going. When I drop my kids off at school and I get all in line, I'm standing with all the other parents in line waiting to pick up their kids. And I go, what's your name? I seem to see you every day here. And, and you know, my name's Mike. Well, my name's Kelly, Mike. Uh, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Hey, do you know Jesus? Like, that's probably awkward a little bit, but <laughs> that's our going. So is it the string from Chino to Kenya? Yeah, that's part of it. But the going is also when I go home and my kids give me lip. <laughs> my kids are sitting right here. When they push back, when they're, you know, I don't know, it's making disciples of our kids, it's making disciples of our friends and family. It's, that's the going. For, for us, it was California, then it was Texas for 10 years. Uh, and if you think, oh, whatever, it's still part of America, let me tell you, Texas is a different country, all right? <laughs> I was about to tell you a story, but probably wouldn't go down well here in California. And then it was Texas, and then it, and it was, God said, go back to California. And and where will it be? I don't know. Where will it be in, in 20, 10, 20, 30 years? I don't know. But there always will be a going in my heart. There's always going to be a going in Marianne's heart. And, and when Jesus says, go to the grocery store, or when Jesus says, go to North Carolina, or go to Tahiti, yes. yeah, um, we'll suffer for Jesus, you know? <laughs> so we'll go. Oh, boy. So one thing I want to also encourage, maybe it's like there might be some college students here or maybe there's some people that are about to retire or I don't know, wherever you are in life, what we tend to do is wait until the moment seems right for us to do the going part of the commissioning of what Jesus is telling. And I want to tell you something, friends. 
That's why I wanted you to look down at your shoes because wherever you are, that's where you are. We had a friend that was driving on the freeway and he got lost and he pulled off in the gas station and he says, hey, I need to get to this place. And the guy at the gas station says, you can't get there from there, from here. And he said, well, this is where I'm at. I don't know how to be anywhere else. And the point of that story is, this is where you're at. You can't be anywhere else. Don't wait to tell people about Jesus once you get retired, because then you'll be walking on the seashore, I'll be collecting you know, seashells, and then I'll tell all the retired people about Jesus. No, tell your grandkids now about Jesus. Tell them when you go to the store about Jesus. Tell them whenever you pick up your grandkids for your, your daughter for, from school about Jesus. I don't know. Don't wait until you graduate from college. Well, one day I'll be out of debt, and I'll be working the right job, and then I'll be in the job where Jesus called me to be, and then I'll be able to tell people about Jesus. No, wherever you are, that's where you are, and that's where you're supposed to go. Okay? All right, so I'm running out of time. Uh, point number three is that Jesus says we are to make disciples. Now, what does that mean to make a disciple? The word disciple, sometimes even to people in the church, sounds really hardcore. It's like, I'm a Christian, but a disciple, is that like an extra? Is that like, a, like the guys who've paid the extra membership and they do this kind of a thing? No. A disciple simply is somebody who has put their hope and faith in Jesus and lives their lives in submission to Jesus, who follows Jesus. I would consider myself a disciple of Jesus. Am I a perfect disciple of Jesus? Nope. Do I mess up? A lot. But as a disciple, I understand what Jesus has called me to, and I'd say, Jesus, help me to follow you. Help me to live a life that resembles who you are to others around me. And that's simply what a, a disciple is. And when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, go therefore and do what? Make disciples. Now, I want us to be very clear on this. Often what the church has heard is go and make converts. Go and convert people. What Jesus is saying very intentionally is he uses the word disciple. That means to discipline, to sit under the discipline of the teaching of a master. And for us who have been commissioned to make disciples, a perfect example, again, is your kids. Man, I'm discipling my children. Not just to be functioning members of society, but to be disciples of Jesus so that they understand what Jesus wants of them, so that they live a life that is pleasing to Jesus. And so when they, make a, they mess up here, they, they sin here, or they break trust here, I bring them back into and I say, so-and-so, hey, let me tell you about the truth of Scripture. This is why, you know, like my youngest boy, sometimes we've, we've caught him sometimes in lying, right? And we'll say, I'll say, buddy, do you know why we shouldn't lie? And he goes, well, because it's bad. And I go, yeah, but do you know why it's bad? And I, I, I bring him down the, the whys and the what-ifs and, and all of these things and let his heart understand the reason why we don't lie, just not because you don't want to be a liar, but what does scripture say about that? What does Jesus think about that? And what does that do about our identity? And, and so what I'm doing is I'm shaping and molding and discipling my son so that he doesn't have a propensity to lie, but he has a propensity to understand the truth of the gospel that he's been set free from lying if he's put his hope faith in Jesus. And that's what we're called to do, not just with our kids if we have kids and we're Christians. That's what we're called to do as Christians with our friends and our family. And discipling doesn't just happen after conversion. Discipling happens before conversion. 
Discipling happens when my kids are playing soccer and I go to the soccer field and I notice all the parents are sitting around hungry and I decide to bring hot dogs in my thermos and say, hey, come guys, get some hot dogs. I brought them in. And we start having a conversation. Why'd you bring hot dogs? You know, oh, so I can tell you about Jesus, <laughs> right? Uh, but I mean, we just, we, we, we disciple before and, and people like ask us, well, why do you, why do you not cheat on your taxes? Or why do you um, decide to go? Why do you even go to church? You just, it's the same message over and over. And why do you try to even be a good person? And you say, man, let me tell you about why I do that. Let me tell you because somebody changed my life from the inside out. I, I used to be blind, but now I can see spiritually. I, I, I just was wandering around trying to be a good person, trying to do all this good stuff on my own power. And every time, every time I'd fail, I would do good for a long time and then I would just fail. But let me tell you something. I've been set free from that. And you can too. And we often think that discipling happens after someone has said yes to Jesus. Discipling happens before they say yes to Jesus. Jesus calls us to make disciples. Um, I feel like I'm shotgunning you guys here this morning, so I apologize for that. I'm just a little excited about this stuff, but I want to say this. Making disciples, for those of us who are Christians, sometimes we wrestle with our purpose and our calling and our identity. Sometimes we, we say, you know, we read books that a lot of pastors put out and Purpose-driven life, great book, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we read these things and go, okay, what am I specifically supposed to do? What has God called me to do? And I want to encourage you this morning. Yes, God can specifically tell you, hey, for this season of your life, move to Texas. This season of your life, move to California. This season of your life, work at this place or do this job or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Because I do believe that God can speak to us specifically. But if we as Christians ever wrestle with our purpose and identity, Go back to Matthew chapter 28 and read the end here when it says, Now my disciples, go, therefore, and make disciples. If you're ever wrestling with what you're supposed to do on this planet, you're called to make a disciple. John Piper says, Mission exists because worship doesn't. That means where people aren't worshiping Jesus, there's a mission to be told. There's a mission to be had. There's a mission to go. And the reality is that will be until we leave this planet. There will always be someone who needs to hear. That's our purpose. That's our calling. All right. Almost done. So how do we do this? Just going to give us some practicals here in the last four minutes. And number one, how do we go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them to obey? Number one is how it's hospitality, I think, is a large tool for us. Hospitality. You know, the church, for some reason, isn't really well known for this. It's more known for what we stand against, right? Well, we don't like drinking, and we don't like smoking, and we don't like this kind of sexual orientation, and we don't like this, and that politician we don't like, and so we're going to take a stance against that. Well, I think it's good to know where we stand. That's something we should know. But what we should be known for more is our hospitality and our love for one another and our love for others. The scripture says that they will know you by your love for one another. 
how you treat one another. And I think that bleeds into our society. So if you're wondering, man, how do I, how do I make disciples of people? Is it like, do I walk up on somebody and go, hey, no, like, do you know Jesus? I mean, that's weird, okay? It's not gonna work. Unless Jesus specifically tells you to go up to somebody and say, hey, I wanna tell you about Jesus. That's happened to me a couple times in my life. But most of the time, it's through some kind of relationship. It's through like, you're, how many of you know all your neighbors in your street? Ugh. Okay. When we moved to Texas, we had every single neighbor that I could like see from the house come to our house, bring us cookies, bring us pies, uh, gave me the keys to their house the first day I moved in. I swear this happened. If you ever need anything, honey, here's the key to my house, right? With a Southern accent. That's just the culture. It's hospitality. That's not even a Christian thing. It's not even in the church. Why is the church worse at that stuff? Be hospitable. Have people in your home. Bring hot dogs to your kid's soccer game. Jesus would do that. Do it for others. Be hospitable. Getting off track here. Number two, have faithful presence where you live. What do I mean by that? I think, in other words, don't be a jerk, okay? So often, like, people think, we look at Christians, we're known for what we're against. We, we look all sour all the time, like we're drinking lemonade without any sugar. We're, like, going around life, and it's just, and, like, you, you know when you did this, that was bad. It's like, okay. But faithful presence is, like, people should speak well of Christians and Christianity in general sense. I mean, some guy comes up to Martin Luther, one of the fathers of the Great Reformation, he becomes, he puts his hope and faith in Jesus. And he comes up to Martin Luther and he says, what do I need to do? I'm a cobbler, but what should I do? And Martin Luther says, make a good shoe and sell it for a decent price. Make a good shoe, sell it for a decent price. Don't go to seminary. Don't quit your job and become a pastor. Make a good shoe, sell it for a decent price. Have a faithful presence in your community. Let people speak well of you. Let them know that you're a Christian and you're not this judgmental, arrogant Christian who thinks they got it all figured out. Be normal and be faithful in your neighborhood and in your presence. And then the last one here, we'll end with this. Actually evangelize. <laughs> Actually tell people about Jesus. I've heard someone say, hey, uh, if live a life that I, I'm going to mess this up. So just, all right, I'm not going to say it right. But live a life that doesn't demand an explanation, but in some instances use words to describe your faith. Okay, I get that. But I think that we also need to tell people physically about Jesus. Now, I want to come back here to the fear of man. I want to come back to the reality that this is really awkward sometimes to bridge that gap. I want to read you something here this morning. And this probably won't come from a person that you think it came from. This is verbatim. And it's a quote, and it says this. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it will make it socially awkward, I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? 
I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you and this is more important than that. You know who this, you know who said this? You know Penn and Teller, famous magician act? He is a staunch atheist, the big tall guy with the ponytail. This is him saying these words, atheist. He's saying, man, if you believe what you believe, if you actually believe there's a hell and that people are gonna go there and it's gonna be terrible and it's gonna be suffering for eternity, how much do you have to hate a person to not tell them about that? If I believed that, if I saw a truck coming, it's about to take you out and say, hey dude, there's a truck. And you're like, no, there's no truck. <laughs> no, it's getting closer and it doesn't see you. Whatever, that's make-believe. What do you do? If this person, you run, you tackle him, you get him out of the way. He's telling us, man, if you believe what you believe, I would tell everybody. Now coming back to the resurrection, if we have this good news, if we have the story that changes history, it's the moment in time that makes everything sinful and ugly and, and deplorable and brings life and brings color and brings beauty and redemption. And we have this in our own personal lives. We're experiencing it. How much more should we tell somebody about the beautiful news about who Jesus is? Well, I'm afraid. I'm, a fear, I'm fearful. What are they going to say? Don't worry. I'll be with you to the end of the age. I have all authority. It's been given to me. Don't worry, don't fear. Don't let the fear man overcome that. Remember the good news that lives in your heart. Remember that you've won. Remember that you've been changed and transformed. All you have to share is a transformed life. And friends and family, if we call ourselves Christians, we call ourselves disciples, our purpose, our calling is to go, therefore, and do likewise, to make disciples of all nations, Texas, California, Kenya, 91710, wherever you're at, that's where you're at. Will you stand with me this morning?